This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. As promised, the latest edition of the Minor League Baseball Podcast, an in-person edition. What's up with your phones? <laughs> That's how you're telling people that we're actually next, <laughs> next to each other is that... My, I'm just pointing out things that are realities. Looks like it, it's a spider web. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I dropped it. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just these these things it's, happen. It's Sam. got a protector. I, when I <laughs> yeah, how did it break to, under the protector? Yeah, myself, I don't know. No, it didn't break under the protector. It's the protector that broke. Oh, the protector is plastic. broken. Yeah, it's this fine. Is... When I take that off, it's going to be... I'm going to get full retail value when I decide to send this... This is what the people the tune into the Minor League Baseball Podcast for. Right. Witty yes. banter and discussion about the health and well-being of our cell phones. And with that, hi, everybody. We welcome you into the latest edition of the show before the show. I am Tyler Maughan. He is Sam Dykstra, episode number 133. And we are both at the headquarters of MILB.com at Chelsea Market in New York City. And... Um, Set to talk some uh, some baseball. World Series game one tonight. We were recording this on Tuesday. Um, so uh, who you got? Who you got? I know, yeah. By the time people hear this, one of the, one of the two teams could, could take be advantage. facing a, a big hole. Already. Yeah, right. Um, I, I just think the Dodgers are the more complete team. Yeah. Which is what wins these series, as we've kind of seen. I think the Astros were a more complete team than the Yankees. I think the Dodgers were a more complete team than the Cubs, for sure. Uh, so if I were to pick based on that, that's it. You know, they've yeah. got the starting pitching. Obviously, they're going to try to get Kershaw as many games as they can. Yeah. And once they hand it to that bullpen, we've seen how dangerous right. that, that bullpen can be. The Astros have more question marks in terms of that. They probably have the better offense, but getting Corey Seager back is going to be yeah, huge. Yeah, that's going to be massive. Um, hopefully, you know, that stays. He doesn't hurt his back in the first two games and – that storyline goes away by the time you guys hear this, but that's going to be big. Obviously, the Dodgers have they have a good enough onset offense to deal with the Astros pitching in a way that I don't feel like the back or the middle of the Astros uh, pitching is can deal with the Dodgers bats. Head says Dodgers in six to me. Hart says Astros in seven because it's Houston and the hurricane and you always want to cheer for right. kind of the underdog and the, the way they've built that system and all that kind of stuff. But I just feel like the Dodgers, I think starting pitching wise, uh, you know, you look at those game three and game four matchups. I think you are feeling very confident uh, if you're the Dodgers. I mean, if you're the Astros and you got Justin Verlander going in game two, you look good to leave Los Angeles with a split. And by the time you guys hear this on Thursday, you will know whether or not that planned out and paid out. Justin uh, Verlander gives up six runs in three innings. <laughs> right, exactly. What split was this tomorrow? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just feel like the Dodgers are uh, they're going to be tough to handle heading into this series, which starts tonight. And uh, with that, we'll get started on this week's edition. We'll talk a little bit more Astros and Dodgers here momentarily, but wherever you found the show before the show podcast, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever else you find your podcast, we thank you for tuning in. And uh, give us a rating and a review and a subscription and get in touch with the show if you would like podcast at mlb milb that's the second week in a row that i've done that podcast at milb.com our email addresses are at mlb so it keeps throwing me off podcast at milb.com get in touch or tweet at us sam dykstra milb 
and Tyler Mullen, and uh, we'll get started. Game series, game one of the World Series, the best of seven set tonight in Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium. The Los Angeles Dodgers in the World Series for the first time since 1988. The Houston Astros since 2005. They are now the first team to win a pennant in each league. They did so as members of the National League, obviously, uh, 12 years ago now, and now as the American League representative. But these are two teams that have been you think about the Dodgers and I think in large part people still think quarter billion dollar payroll they've just been throwing money around that's the they're the Yankees payroll of the 20s of the second decade of the 21st century but that team has relied on so much homegrown talent to get them where they are that they're very different feeling from what the payroll might suggest they've got a lot invested in kind of dead money they are a homegrown team in a lot of ways the Astros are the epitome of the way teams want to be built nowadays. And, of course, everybody remembers 2014 Sports Illustrated. Baseball's great experiment was the cover. They predicted the Astros to be the 2017 World Series champions. When that came out, for people who were not paying attention – that was kind of a laughing stock suggestion. They were a 100-loss team for three straight years. Didn't look like they had any idea what they were doing, but the Astros were overhauling everything behind the scenes to build this exact team. So strike one on this week's edition of Three Strikes. We're going to take a look at how these teams got here looking specifically the way they developed from internal sources, the draft, international signees, prospects who graduated, and who was best set up for the future because you look at the Astros – these guys all seem young still. Alex Bregman's young. Carlos Correa's young. Jose Altuve is still young. There's so much talent on that roster, it seems like it'll be around for a while. But you could say that about a lot of Dodgers guys as well. So what thoughts on who is best set up now and how they got to this point? Yeah, um, well, just to go back to our predictions, because I just had this thought. I think my one prediction is this is going to go seven. Okay. Either way. And I think probably Kershaw goes seven and whatever. Or he pulls off a bumper. Anyways, that off to the side. Um... Yeah, you mentioned the Dodgers, and everybody thinks about them as kind of the Yankees of today and just how much money they have on the payroll. And, and one interesting thing about them is that I think they, they've kind of laid the – a lot of their biggest spends of recent years have been Canley Jansen, who was a guy who came up through the system. So he wanted to stay in – you know, when I did this Toolshed story a little while ago, I did not count him as a homegrown talent because he's technically in the system as a free agent. Right. He didn't – he came up, as everybody knows, you know, as a catcher first. They moved him to the bullpen. Now he's lights out, has the best cutter since Mariano Rivera. Um, and and as, if I'm not going to give them credit there, I will give them credit for, you know, developing him, making him like we're wanting to stay in Los Angeles, making that a comfortable situation for him. Um, you know, that's an advantage that as much cash as other teams were looking to, to splash with Jansen, that obviously gave them advantage. Um, kind of not an exactly similar story with Justin Turner, but he was a guy who was, you know, picked a up off a scrap, right. scrap heap. Yeah. Um, almost kind of his own development story in that way. Uh, but they, you know, their biggest contributors, their biggest future is obviously Cody Bellinger and Corey Seager. Um, you know, Bellinger's probably going to win NL Rookie of the Year this year. Seager won it last year. Um, you know, was an MVP candidate last year. Uh, probably will be again in the future. Um, so even when we're talking about their big money spends, these are they're still spending lots of money. Clayton Kershaw, you know, at one point the most expensive player in baseball, most expensive pitcher in baseball, certainly. Uh, he was brought up through the system. He was a draft pick. Um, he learned everything he knows, at least from a pro standpoint from this Dodger system. Even Yasiel Puig, who 
became a baseball player of note because he was successful at the professional level in Cuba. He was technically a prospect when he got here. He signed. He went through the minor leagues. Yeah. Not so much a development story the way the other guys are, but you can make that conversation. But they had him. to make He's it comfortable for him. Well. Exactly. Yeah, right. like the They're, Red Sox had Rusny Castillo, right. and that obviously hasn't worked out. And he was a big out. money Cuban signing. Um, obviously, apples and oranges – we're not comparing Cubans because they're Cubans, but still, it's a story of bringing somebody over here and trying to get them comfortable and used to the system. It's a much more unique developmental track for a uh, former professional player in a country to come to the U.S. and try to be successful. The guys who come from Cuba have a way more unique path to the major leagues than even the guys who come from Japan or Korea do. Right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so the Dodgers have plenty going for them in terms of um, guys they know, guys they brought up, guys who have only known Dodger baseball. The Astros are very similar in that this has always been the plan. You know, like I, I found this story. I, I didn't, I shouldn't say I found it. I refound it uh, that I wrote back in 2015 when they won the best farm system, Milby. Like that was the easiest vote we had, I think, that year. And, uh, you know, I, talk, I took a shot. Sometimes it's difficult for us to get in touch with general managers. Obviously, they've got lots going on their plate. They don't want to talk about the minor league system. I got Jeff Lanau, who was more than happy to talk about his minor league system at the time because that was his crowning jewel. And the kind of kicker quote in that story was, you know, we're trying to develop winners now. We want these guys to feel successful. So by the time the major league, they make the major leagues, the, uh, the only thing they know is winning. And the two guys he mentioned, he name-dropped in that quote that he gave to me were Carlos Correa and Lance McCullers. And Lance McCullers, as we all know, you know played a pivotal role in that right. last game against the Yankees. And Carlos Correa you know, if, is, is probably their second most important play, player right now, at least position player, uh, behind Jose Altuve. This is kind of what they were, they've been fostering. You know, Altuve's had to deal with all the rebuild stuff. But some of the younger names, you know, George Springer, Correa, Bregman – uh, you know, this is basically what they designed to happen, um, which is fascinating. One thing we should also kind of mention in passing that I think is getting a little bit of, of mention this week is that these are two organizations that really put a lot into analytics. Yeah. And at every level, you know, I, I remember spending um, you know a little bit of time at Astro Spring Training this this spring and talking to uh, you know guys in their player development system, and, and they were talking about how everything they do is just pouring over data from the miners and trying to, you know, their player development director uh, had his analytics background first. He was not a player. Right. He's, you know, not much older than you and me, but that's where he comes from. And that's what Dodgers are kind of a similar, similar story. Um, you know, they were, they haven't been able to, or they've been unwilling to really go on the record about how many people they have in their analytics department, but it is, we know it's a, it's a small army. Yeah. Um, and they're doing this from the top down. You know, Trackman is a big thing in the minors now. Um, you, you can see in the Arizona Fall League, I'm hoping to have a story on that this week, of StatCast data that we're getting from that. All these other teams have it privately available because they're studying it. And, you know, when teams that have these big analytics departments are put a lot of importance into that kind of stuff, like the Astros and Dodgers, and they make moves for certain players or, you know, they trade away certain players – it kind of makes you think, okay, what are they seeing that we're not? Because right. they definitely have the data to back that up. They're not doing something out of no, nowhere or, you know, just like, oh, that's a head-scratcher. That's a really dumb move. There's that a you plan can, behind everything. Right, yeah. They, they have something that we don't that makes them think they can let go of a certain player or, you know, 
willing to give up somebody like that. So, um, yeah, just two very similar stories. As much as, you know, the Dodgers have been good the past couple of years and the Astros certainly haven't until these, you know, last two or three. Um, these are still obviously two player development stories. And the fact that they are undeniably the two best teams in baseball should make for a fun series, but also just points to how important player development really is in t- becoming that and obtaining that goal. It's uh, It's been fun to watch. I mean, it's, it's fun to watch all systems build, but especially when we've seen over the last several years, teams that have made themselves elite teams in Major League Baseball have all followed that pathway. The Royals, the Cubs, the Dodgers, the Astros, so many, even the Yankees now, so many of these teams have followed that formula. And it's cool to see when it comes to success at the highest levels that teams are making it all the way into that final stage. Um, Speaking of the Astros and player development on the Astros side, Astros first round pick J.B. Bukaskis will join the show coming up here in just a little bit. Uh, So we'll get last week heard from uh, the Dodger system and Will Smith. And this week we'll hear from J.B. and the Astros organization. So stay tuned for that. Strike two this week, Sam. Uh, Milby Awards, finally Fast and Furious coming at you. Offensive player, starter, and reliever, the best of minor league baseball in 2017 announced this week. Your thoughts on our first few categories? Yeah, so um, as this as we're recording this now on Tuesday, uh, John Duplantier was officially announced the starting pitcher Mil- Milby winner for staff vote this week. Uh, you can re-listen to our conversation with him from a couple weeks ago if you want to hear us talking to him. If you would rather read it, uh, read what he had to say. He spoke to Alex Kraft uh, for that feature story, which I thought was really interesting. Um, he definitely harped again on that idea that he wants to prove people wrong that rice pitchers can't pitch in the pros right and you can tell how much that it, it really annoys him um and, and i think that's the lead of alex's story so that's kind of fascinating the the fan choice winner for that because they are two categories or there there are two choices for each category i should say there's the our vote which you know we come together as a staff we all voted i put up all the totals and all that kind of stuff we choose it a staff vote, and that's where you're going to see your features on are the staff vote. But obviously, you guys have been voting the last couple of weeks, and they always get a mention. So Zach Little, uh, now of the Twins organization, previously of the Yankees organization, he was the fans' choice winner, running away, kind of yeah. surprisingly, uh, 51% of the vote. Uh, he went 19-1 and with a 2.12 ERA over 157 innings. Uh, obviously, a lot, a lot of people falling in love with the record there. Um, but beyond that, he obviously did incredibly well. Low ERA, 142 strikeouts against only 41 walks, 157 innings. There's a reason why he's on this list. He probably would have been on this list regardless of record. I think that's what kind of gets him the fan vote, is that people see 19-1 and one and just get flabbergasted by that. While changing organizations, by right, way, right. Which is n- no easy thing. Um, so congrats to him for winning the fan choice, uh, Milby, for starting pitcher. And congrats to John Duplantier. Uh, for winning our vote and getting the full write-up for that. Uh, we'll have top offensive player. That's coming out. Um, I don't think it's going to be any surprise. I can kind of reveal this here. Um, you guys can read more about it coming later this week. Uh, is Bo Bichette. Um, obviously had a tremendous year as a teenager, You know, leading the minors with a 362 average. That's what stuck out to us. Just Everybody else on the list, I think, did something well, but... Um, obviously well. I mean, these are the top 10 offensive players of the year, we thought. Um, but Bichette did something so far and away more than anybody else on the list in terms of his average, and that's going to stick out. You know, we can talk about batting average until the cows come call or come home, and, you know, is that a good stat to be looking at and all that kind of stuff. 
But to do what he did as a teenager and to have that continue even after he moved up to Dunedin, um, you know, he was definitely going to be on the short list on almost any list you look at for player of the year. Um, we give him the nod just because of age, because of level, um, handling a, a promotion, all that kind of stuff. And, and doing things just no other teenager has really done. Um, so that he's our pick for Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, one more that we'll get in before you guys are going to hear this uh, is Gabriel Moya, the uh, reliever of the year. Um, he had a really good, strong season. Another guy who was traded um, going from the Twins to the D-backs, uh, excuse me, from the D-backs to the Twins, uh, posted a 0.77 ERA, 87 strikeouts in 58 and a third innings, 0.77 whip, a perfect 24 for 24 in save opportunities. Uh, with reliever, I think we, we try to normally – we don't just look at saves, uh, although that's where a lot of people normally get stuck to. Um, but with Moya, it really was the full package. It wasn't just the 24 for 24 in saves, although that tipped him past some of the other guys who had slightly more dominant uh, stats. But the fact that he had such a low ERA, such a high strikeout count, and again, handling all of that while switching organizations, while getting moving in a trade, um, was a really standout effort for him. So he's our, our staff pick on that. Uh, we'll have more coming out next week. I have breakout prospects of the year. Not going to announce that here. Uh, we'll have that come out next week. And uh, which one are you doing? I have top performance, single game performance. So, which is uh, always fun. That is a I fun think, one yeah. because you get guys sitting back and just kind of trying to reminisce on something that happened months and ago. The thing that always amazes me about it too is you get the guys who you know, if it's for example a guy who hits a walk-up home run, something impressive that's kind of a single moment. The amount of stuff that guys can remember. Oh, he threw me uh, he threw me an 0-1 change up and it was a little bit away, so I let that go. Like the sequencing and the exact details of the moment that like I can barely remember what I had for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> but guys, that blows my mind. So we'll have single game performance coming up. Uh, not necessarily single game, but top performance of 2017 right, top coming individual up. Performance. Uh, because we do have uh, some things that are not just relegated to one game, but those will be uh, revealed as we close out October and open up November 2017 Milby Awards. And that Brings us to strike three for this week's edition of the show before the show. The Arizona Fall League in full swing. Um, there are things about the AFL that you kind of start noticing early on and you see if guys are going to be able to sustain. And one of those things that seems to be very sustainable is Mariners prospect Eric Filia, who through his first eight games with Peoria is batting 548 or 519 with a 548 on base percentage and a 778 slugging percentage. Uh, pretty good numbers, but he's pretty got an interesting numbers. backstory too. Yeah. Um, so his is, is kind of fascinating just because he's old. I mean, there's no way going around. I mean, old. I put in air <laughs> quotes. Us. Yeah, he's, he's 25, which is old for the Fall League. I mean, if you're 25 and in the Fall League, it's because... You know, they're trying to usually trade you or something like that. But the reason why he is old for that level is because he got his pro career started out late. Uh, he's a guy who was drafted out of UCLA. He was taken in the 20th round. He missed two years for very different reasons at UCLA. One was for shoulder surgery, just knocked him out completely for what would have been his junior year, which came after he won a national title at UCLA. Um, so he had experienced the highest of highs. That's what he called it to me, or told, told me about it. He called the highest highest of highs, winning a national title at UCLA, something that the Bruins had never done in baseball. 
and then you know you're out with shoulder surgery and then as he's beginning to recover from shoulder surgery and you know he's coming off the red shirt year and all that uh he ends up being suspended and removed from the team for a year for a uh plagiarism scandal involving a philosophy paper he plagiarized part of it obviously that's a big no-no anywhere you go but especially in college they really will smack you down on that um so he he had to miss another year probably could have gone in the draft after that if he really wanted to decided to go back to ucla talk to coach savage there uh somebody he had really developed a relationship with over the years and said like i want to prove myself i want to show that you know i'm good enough to play here um which is great but at that point he had basically been through almost four years of college um so he's playing almost as a fifth year like what we what normal people non-athletes would call a fifth year of college that's what he was doing um so he ends up coming back um again puts up strong numbers you know he's always been a really really good hit tool tyler mentioned that that those fall league numbers those have basically happened not to that extent not hitting above 500 but being a plus plus hitter uh or having a plus plus hit tool is basically something he's done at every stop um so you know he showed that off again at, at ucla but being an older guy being a senior sign potentially uh he dropped to the 20th round with the mariners Mariners take a chance on him. You know, we'll throw him out there. We'll see what can happen with him. Uh, he's been stellar everywhere he's been in the minors, as I was saying. Hit 362 for Class A short season Everett in his first year in 2016. Uh, ended up hitting 326 with a 407 on base percentage this year in the Cal League. Uh, not really much power to speak of. He only hit five home runs in 128 games. But, you know, for the, for the Mariners, they said, okay, this is obviously a guy who can move quickly given his age, given – how well he's taken to everywhere he's played. Let's see what happens if he can sink or swim in the fall league. And he's even taken to that challenge incredibly well, you know, going 14 for 27 in his first eight games. Um, again, the power's not there. He hasn't homered yet. Uh, two triples, three doubles in those eight games, six RBIs. Um, but he's going to be a guy who knows, you know, he definitely has an approach. That was one of the first things he talked to me about was I'm sitting fastball. You know, I'm going to, wait for the fastball and when it comes i'm going to hit it if i need to i can adjust off speed i can always do that that's what the mariners preach but i'm sitting fastball and if you're going to give it to me i'm going to you know i'm going to crank it into the outfield um, and he just continues to do that so now they're trying him out at first base we'll see how that goes um, but one thing i love from this story was if you ever watch eric filiot play it's it's a joy to watch a because he hits but also because of the filiot shimmy which makes for a great gif yeah. by the way uh, a very shareable GIF and a very shareable <laughs> video. The Modesto Nuts, where he played th this year, had like a promotional video on how do you fill a shimmy. <laughs> and it's just everybody in the office, like before they get ready. What the, the shimmy is, is before he steps into the box, he just stops short, is parallel to the box, and just dips his shoulders two or three times. It's a little Jack Parkman-like, but not insufferable. It's endearing, whereas Jack Parkman, very dislikable. Eric Philly, this is a very likable thing. That he right, does. yeah. It's, and the way he described it was just like, you know, I'm trying to get into the rhythm. I'm trying to develop a, a pre-at-bat routine. This just seemed like something to do for fun. Yeah, that's it's not showing like. anybody up. And that just really crystallizes what he's all about because he has missed two seasons of baseball. He knows where he could be potentially. Um, and so, you know, once you lose baseball for a while, you realize how much fun it is, how much of a game it really can be. So why not have fun with it? Why not develop your own little style? And that's what he's done with the shimmy. Uh, and every time it comes up, I, I see Mariners Twitter go nuts. Um, that was part of the reason why it was fun to share it and see how excited they're getting. Um, he's definitely somebody, you know, plagiarism scandal aside, 
seems to have put that behind him. Um, and he's really taking this opportunity in the fall league. So it's going to be interesting to see how far he can take this. And, and he'll definitely start next year in double A and probably be on the fast track. You know, if he keeps hitting, okay, he's proven himself everywhere else. They need to keep raising the challenge with him. Yeah, it is a really interesting story. There's a lot of really insightful stuff in that story from Eric Filia, and that is Toolshed, which is up at MILB.com right now. And that will do it for this week's edition of Three Strikes. Coming up on the show, we're going to head to the Houston Astros organization and first-round pick J.B. Bukaskis, who will join the show to discuss his debut professional season and more, including what it's like to be in the organization of an American League pennant-winning franchise, which is in the World Series as of right now. J.B. Bukaskis joins the show next. Well, joining us this week as our guest on the Meyer League Baseball Podcast is J.B. Bukowskis, uh, calling in from Chapel Hill in North Carolina, where he's currently a still a college student. J.B., how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining us. So, yeah, just kind of get into that. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people necessarily get uh, what some, some draft picks, especially you guys who are coming out as juniors, you still have a year left of college to go through. Um, you know, you just said before we started here, you're doing a full full load this fall. Um, you know, how does that kind of work out? How do you kind of talk about that with the Astros? And, uh, yeah, how is that going along so far? Um, you know, it just kind of came up in conversations um, when I was signing. And um, something that I've seen some guys that have also gone to UNC do in the past, and it's something that kind of intrigued me a little bit because I am so close to uh, getting that degree, and it's, that's always been really important to me. So the fact that they were um, – willing to let me do that was really cool um and i've just been you know kind of making my way through the semester and working hard as well with the baseball stuff um but it feels really good to be really pushing towards finishing that degree and how different is it to be back on campus no longer as a college athlete but as like a actual professional athlete with a job and the whole thing <laughs> it's uh it's a lot different actually um you find yourself having way more time to get stuff done that um, you didn't have before because you don't have those whatever it is four or five hours of practice a day um, I mean it makes it easier in that respect but at the same time like um, it can be more challenging you don't have the same support staff you did when you're here um, with tutors and stuff like that but um, personally I like the freedom more to be able to go and work out and stuff like we have to do for our strength training um, but still have this, the chance to go and get all my school stuff done too so mm-hmm. Um, it's been really good I've been enjoying it yeah and you mentioned strength training and that kind of stuff I mean what kind of program do the Astros have you on right now Um, you know are are you in touch with them are you still working with any UNC staff I mean how does that kind of work itself out as you're preparing for you know your first spring training and your first real professional offseason well they gave me a a strength program when I left um that they wanted me to do over the off season. So I've just been kind of following along with that and doing what they've been telling me. It's been going really well. Um, I don't really have as much contact with the strength coaches here at UNC. Cause like I said, um, I mean, they're just busy. I know how it goes. Um, I was here last year and um, I mean, I, I just seen some of the, the pro guys come back and they're following their, their team's routine. So I kind of followed after that and just been doing what the Astros have been saying. So and obviously a lot is going on with the Astros right now. I mean, that's part of the reason why we wanted to have you on the show this week. Um, you know, how much are you able to follow along? I mean, I'm sure you're just like the rest of us watching the World Series every night. We're talking to you on Wednesday. Game one was last night. Um, but, you know, how, how exciting has it been to kind of 
follow the major league postseason along, not just with like a favorite team, but with, of an organization that you are actually an active part of now? It's really, really cool to get to watch all the games. Um, I have been following along very closely. Um, it's really cool to see the buzz around, like, people want to want to ask, like, oh, there's that, there's Astros, like, look how good they're doing. Like, yeah, I know, I'm following. Um, but it's really, it's really exciting. It's awesome to see. Um, makes you feel really good about um, getting a chance to be part of that organization. So um, it's been really exciting, really fun to watch, and I hope they can pull it out here. Right, and, and you're not watching just as any Astros prospect. You're watching as you know the first round pick this year. You look at that team, the way they are designed. It's around high draft picks. I mean, George Springer's leading off every night. Carlos Correa is batting cleanup. Uh, Lance McCullers got the the big save in Game Seven against the Yankees. These are all first round picks. And then looking at what they've developed recently, you know, Alex Bregman same way. Kyle Tucker, Forrest Whitley in the minor league system. Um, when you see the success they've had with high picks, um, you know, how exciting were you on draft day to find out you were going to that system, um, given the way they, the successes they've had with player development? Um, it's very exciting, actually. Because, um, yeah, like you said, I mean, all of those guys are doing extremely well right now, and um, I hope that I can follow in their footsteps, just kind of work hard and do exactly what the Astros say, and hopefully I can end up in that same kind of position. But it is really exciting to see that track record. And then when I heard my name called, on draft day by the Astros is like, okay, like this is going to be, this is going to be cool. Cause like you said, they do have a really good, good, strong track record of bringing those guys on. So. Yeah. And take us through your draft day experience because you were a name, you know, coming out of UNC, um, one of the top college pitchers in the game, you know, one of the top pitcher, I think you were given the pitcher of the year award in your conference. So everybody, you know, your name was on the tip of a lot of people's tongues going into that first round. You end up going 15th to the Astros. How much did you know about the Astros going in, at least in terms of their interest in you? And what was it like, you know, as you saw picks one through 14 come off the board and then you finally get the call that you're the next one up? Um, I tried not to really like look too much into it there um, towards the end just because it was starting to get stressful for me, honestly. But, um, I mean, watching, I mean, everybody's watching along. You're anxious, you're nervous, you got all these emotions going on. But when I finally got my name called, like, it was just, it was, I mean, what you dream about, it was, it was awesome. It was so much fun to hear, so much fun to be with my family and kind of share that experience with them. Um, but yeah, I mean, great organization. And I'm, I'm super happy where I ended up. Like, um, I mean, I'm just really happy with how things have gone. So, mm -hmm. and, and let's talk about your development this year. You know, as a junior uh, with, with the Tar Heels, um, you know, obviously a really strong season with them. You, you guys get to a regional. You know, there's lots of team success, ranked in the top ten in the nation as a team. Uh, it doesn't go your way there at the end, obviously, but specifically for you, I think it was that last start against Davidson um, didn't go especially well. You know, I, obviously you're pitching. For your team, you guys want to advance. That's a big spot. It's basically the NCAA playoffs. Um, but as the season was kind of going toward there towards the end, you know the draft is coming up. Is it a part of your thinking that you're also kind of in a job aud audition every time out, or is it more just focused on, um, you know, or is that even part of the equation for you? It's just that you are pitching essentially for your draft stock. Um, I would say definitely at the end of the season. I've that I try, you try and keep that off of your mind as best as possible because you've you've been in 
you fought with your team the whole year and you're there in the playoffs for the first time since I've been at school here and that's all I was thinking about honestly was moving on I think I may have put a little bit too much pressure on myself there towards the end to kind of perform for that reason just because we hadn't been in the past two years but um I mean that is always going to come into the back of your head especially if you want to play professional baseball just because um that's what you've been dreaming about that's what you've been kind of doing the whole season like I feel like once you get to the postseason, it really becomes more about like your team, your teammates, all these guys that you've worked so hard with to get where you are. Um, but yeah, I mean, you try and keep that out of your mind as best as possible. Just go out there and help the team win. Um, yeah. Yeah. So where was your mentality at after that last start? I mean, obviously the team had a few more games afterwards, but you're, you're going into the draft. That's the last start you have to, to show off to scouts. I mean, where, where was your mind going into the draft this spring? Um, well, after that game, I was just hoping that I could get another chance to throw. Because, um, right. I mean, we could have come back through the through the loser's bracket and moved on. I mean, it was definitely doable within our reach. Um, it just didn't end up going our way. But um, other than that, I mean, it did make for a stressful couple weeks there right leading up to the draft. Um, just because I, I hadn't been throwing great for those last couple weeks. Um, but, I mean, at the same time, like, I knew, like, I put myself in a pretty good position throughout the season to still do what I wanted to do with the draft. Um, and like I said, like ultimately, uh, I think everything really happens for a reason and I'm really just happy where I ended up. So mm-hmm. I think yeah. it all worked out for the best. Right. And, and let's talk about what made you such a strong candidate to be taken into the first round this year. Uh, you know, you're a guy who can throw with pretty good velocity in the mid nineties, touching high nineties at times. But what I want to ask you about is your slider. Uh, a lot of people thought it was the best breaking ball in the draft. You know, whether it was a college pitcher or a high school arm, um, how was that pitch able to develop for you? When did you first really know it was good, and how did it become as as good as it has been uh, the last couple of years? Um, it actually it de- developed a lot my freshman year. There's a guy. Um, Riley Hovis, who's the closer here, um, when I first got here and I didn't really have a very good off speed pitch, uh, when I got here and we kind of messed around with it out in the outfield. And then, um, our pitching coach, coach Forbes and coach Gaines, who was an assistant pitching coach at the time. Um, we were all just kind of like messing around with it out in the outfield. Riley came over to me and just was telling me like, Hey, like all the thing about when I throw mine is like just throwing as hard as I can and like not really worrying about like the break on it. I kind of took that mentality um, into some bullpens and stuff. And it just kind of started to click a little bit. Um, And I mean, it was definitely still a work in progress. It still is right now. Um, But I mean, it just started getting a little bit better, a little bit better. And ultimately um, helped me have some success these past couple of years. So, yeah. When when did it feel like it, I mean, what allowed it to feel like it was clicking? It was it just seeing the results in the the batters, or was it feeling good out of your hand? I mean, what what allowed that to happen? I think it was just the trust that like I didn't really need to see it move as much as I thought I did in high school. Um, just kind of like trusting the fact that the velocity and the short like late break will take care of like get you the results you want. Um, I guess I could be a little stubborn at times, but when I started listening to these guys, like. Um, I started really seeing some good results and then just kind of trusted them from then on out. So, mm-hmm. 
And, and one thing I want to ask you about too, in, in terms of your pitches and the, the way you act on the mound, is your delivery. Um, you know, some people call it high tempo. There's definitely a couple moving parts involved in that. Uh, you know, how has that kind of worked itself out in college? You know, based on where you were in high school, and and how do you kind of develop just a, a delivery like that? I mean, was it something? A while ago, somebody said you just need to be in rhythm, or how did that kind of work itself out? Um, I mean, I've just kind of always gone like that. It's just, I guess, just kind of how I am. But um, I think it definitely got toned down a little bit throughout these past couple of years at uh, UNC. Because in high school, I think it was even a little bit more. There's some more moving parts. But, um, yeah, it's just kind of how I've been, how i grown up throwing. So, um, a lot of people just kind of let me ride with how I've been doing it and didn't want to change all that much, but I definitely try to clean it up a little bit, um, make it a little bit more repeatable since I've been at UNC, but that's about it. So, Have you had any conversations with the Astros yet? I mean, I know you only made three starts this summer, um, but you know, what were you talking with them about when you were making you know, your three starts between the GCL and the New York Penn League? Um, you know, what were your conversations with them? Was it just show us what you got, or did they want you to work on specific things? There were specific things that they wanted me to work on. Um, nothing really with my mechanics as much as, like, just kind of getting getting used to, like, the drills that they do, um, some other things that they do. And, I mean, that was perfectly fine with me. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot this summer, um, even in my short period of time there. Um, but they didn't, they didn't really try and change my mechanics all that much, maybe a tweak here or there, but nothing crazy. Um, it still was kind of just letting me do my thing, um, which was nice. So it's kind of how it went. Yeah. And what was the most eye-opening experience of, of being in the minors first, um, or just being part of a pro system, like you said, where they have their own routines, their, their own ways of going about things. What was the most eye-opening experience you've had so far? Um, I don't think anything was like super eye opening because I wanted to go in with just a really open mind of like, I don't, I haven't been in this kind of situation before. I'm just going to kind of just take it all in and see how it goes and just learn a lot and be ready for the start of the next season and have a good idea of how things are going to go, um, what I need to do to get better and stuff like that. So I, I wouldn't say anything was really eye opening because um, I, like I said, I just wanted to kind of take it all in. So. Right. Well, well, kind of in that way, then, um, you know, what was the thing you think best prepared you, uh, you know, for what you're going to try to do next spring, um, you know, into the summer, um, something you took away from, you know, one of those three starts in, in the GCL or at Tri-City? Um, I think I was just getting, again, used to throwing on a little bit shorter rest. Um, that was a little bit of an adjustment because in college we go on whatever it is, six or seven days. It's like a day shorter than pro ball. Um, where we were at um, and then some of the, the drills and all that stuff and being at the field for a majority of the day and I would say that's probably about it other than that I mean I was just like I said taking it all in mm-hmm. yeah and, and one thing I've read about you know just your developmental path um, is you know trying to hone the changeup obviously we talked about the fl- the fastball and the slider but the changeup is what's going to potentially keep you moving forward uh, you know, as a three-pitch starter, um, where where is that uh, the development of that pitch been? Um, you know, what kind of growth do you feel like you showed with that throughout college? 
Um, throughout college, I would say not as much as, I mean, I th- we definitely started to use it there a little bit at the end, but um, it was we when I kind of got the slider started clicking a little bit more um, towards the middle of my sophomore year, I would say we were we were really using that a lot, and um, I didn't get a chance to throw the changeup as much as I might have liked to, but I'm definitely getting more of a chance right now to do it. Um, and it's coming along. I mean, it's definitely just like the slider is. It's a work in progress, but um, I'm really excited to keep working on it and see, keep making it better. Mm-hmm. And how do you kind of define success with the changeup? Honestly, right now, it's just throwing it a bunch and getting comfortable with throwing it in specific counts, like being behind an account and using it and those kind of ways. The ways that I feel like um, I had to grow with my slider, I'm going through the same kind of process with my changeup. So um, it is definitely a work in progress, but that co- being comfortable with it, I think, is the first step. So mm-hmm. um, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, and we'll leave you on this one. Obviously, it's a little too far ahead to be thinking about where you'll be next year and all that kind of stuff. Um, but as you're planning, as you're getting ready, you're, you're doing all your strength exercises and thinking about what your first full season will be, uh, what do you think a successful 2018 would look like for you? Is it to get to a certain level? Is it to throw a certain amount of innings? I mean, how would you kind of define what you want a, fir- a successful first full season to be? Um, I, I just kind of want to go into it just how I did last year, just kind of no, no real expectations, just kind of go out there and try and do my best and um, not set any super like crazy goals or anything like that, just kind of do what they tell me to do and um, kind of just end up where I end up. All right. All right. Great. Well, that's uh, J.B. Bukowskis joining us this week as our guest. Uh, J.B., thanks so much. Uh, enjoy the rest of uh, your time in Chapel Hill and the, the rest of the semester, as it were. And uh, I'm sure we'll be catching up with you next year. Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. In person, the three best friends that anybody could have. Uh, Benjamin Hill joins me and Sam at the uh, the palatial Chelsea Market Estate under the watchful eye of Google. Hi, Ben. Hi, Tyler. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm Googling things now. I'm Googling things. Yeah, it's nice to be uh, in between you two. Hey, good to, good to have you. We all got a chance to hang out on Friday. Uh, went and saw some stand-up comedy. We've bonded. We've built we our our podcasting synergy to a new level. Is that how you feel? We did. I definitely feel like that. It was a, a warming experience, our Friday night together, and, and the warmth has kept with me all the way to this gloomy day, uh, a Tuesday afternoon in, in uh, Chelsea, Manhattan. This is the type of day that would be well served by like a nice cup of warm soup, a hot sandwich, and thankfully, one of the things that we'll discuss today is uh, look back on the 2017 food names for teams across minor league baseball. Of course, a few years ago, the Fresno Grizzlies really kind of got the ball rolling on this. They weren't the first team to do it, but they were the first team to really blow it out of the water with a food identity for the team, turning themselves into the Fresno Tacos. Now everybody wants a piece of that action. And Ben has a comprehensive 2017 Look back at the teams that did it this year. Um, give us the rundown of this and, you know, kind of what stands out to you. In There were a lot of these teams I didn't even realize this had happened uh, for some of them, some that just flew a little bit more under the radar than others. But what was it like bringing this one together? Yeah, well, you know, I think the caveat here, first of all, is, you know, let's just be honest, October is the deadest month for uh, minor league baseball coverage. So it's how to, um, you know, come out with 
some funny, interesting, uh, relevant material in a, a very dead month for minor league baseball coverage. So, you know, you'll take a look back in those situations. And, you know, I maintain a uh, promo spreadsheet all year, and I write the promo watch columns every week in which I'm not on the road, at least. And I thought, you know, why don't I go back in that spreadsheet and, you know, do a, an article or two looking back at uh, some of the trends. And obviously one of the biggest ones is, is food, and we've talked about it uh, you know, numerous times and quick hits on this podcast. So I tried to compile everything together at MyLB.com's, you know, uh, Comprehensive Food Identity Roundup 2017. And uh, there's quite a lot in there, for sure. Um, I, I, uh, you know, did it by different categories. So, you know, we have brunch and baseball with the Richmond Flying Squirrels, uh, you know, in their waffle-themed jerseys. We got vegetables with the uh, Stockton Ports as asparagus and then the Sacramento tomatoes. And uh, then the real popular ones, you know, we got the Rochester plates. Uh, interestingly, they didn't want to use garbage. Maybe the garbage plate is trademarked. Uh, it, it really might be, but either way, the, you know, the garbage plate is a late-night Rochester special. You know, your mac and cheese, your uh, potato salad, uh, your potatoes, french fries, Various sauces, chili, ground meat. It uh, really like it, it, there's a lot of uh, customization that yeah. can happen in a uh, in a garbage plate. So stuff like that, uh, green chili cheeseburgers, which was up for promo of the year, um, be, uh, specifically because this is the Albuquerque green chili cheeseburgers, and they played the Fresno tacos. So to have the uh, Fresno take their food identity on the road and play against the green chili cheeseburgers in Albuquerque was uh, pretty cool. And basically on and on and on and on the Lakewood uh, pork rolls. You know, I'm I'm from the Northeast. I grew up in uh, Philadelphia area. So I'm familiar with pork rolls, but that's one of the great things about uh, these food identities is they're often regional. So you might not know much about green chili or green chili cheeseburgers unless you're from Albuquerque. You might not know much about uh, you know pork rolls unless you're from New Jersey, PA, Delaware, you know, the tri-state area, as I call it. Um, so it's a good way, as with so much in minor league baseball, it's a good way to learn about the country, and in this way, with a you know, in an appetizing way, and obviously with great visuals. So I did a recap, and it's on the site, and uh, there we go. I just banged the table for emphasis. It's good. That's <laughs> yeah. good. It gives a, a little auditory response. I want somebody to just next year just take something that's available everywhere and just pretend that it's theirs, like the El Paso ham and cheese sandwiches. Well, I feel like Brooklyn did that with the Brooklyn slice. Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah. Everybody yeah. loves but, slices But New of pizza. York, right. But New York does have a, right. a, a bit of a claim to, to pizza more than most places. And, uh, you know, so, but yeah, and, and uh, Sam, I see you're always so prepared. You have a tweet up that I had uh, in right. conjunction with my article in which I suggested um, potential, uh, you know, one night only food rebrandings I'd like to see next year. And there's one that I want to get to real fast because I just had this thought about it. You have the Buffalo Wings, which right. obviously makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, would all the Rochester, sense. But would Rochester throw up a fight for another Western New York team being called the Wings? Ah, they're in the same league. Hopefully they can work it out. You're right. Oh, You'd have the Red Wings point. and the Wings. Yeah. But it'd, be, it'd just be literally the Wings and where the Red Wings of Rochester are a bird uh, reference. And uh, this is not – well, I guess it's a bird. It's it a chicken a wing. It is not an <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's not an edible bird. No one eats a Red Wing. I don't know. But that's a good thought. But Buffalo Wings seems so natural um, as a tie-in. The Binghamton Speedies um, – you know, if you're not from that part of New York, uh, Binghamton, I know uh, Tri-City, which is Albany, Schenectady, and Troy also has Speedies. But, you know, Speedies are marinated chunks of meat on bread, essentially. Real simple, real satisfying. But Binghamton Speedies is something I could see. 
I put down New Orleans crawfish. I mean, New Which Orleans. Which is because they're already a food name anyway. With baby cakes, yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. Uh, Nashville hot chickens, you know, that's a, a staple of Nashville. And they have hot chicken, Nashville hot chicken at the concession stand. And, you know, hot chickens, you know that's going to be a good visual uh, when you're called the hot chicken. So a few suggestions I had. Uh, other people suggested more on Twitter. And, of course, tweet at me, email me, whatever you need to do if you have an idea that just cannot be uh, overlooked. I'm telling you. Twitter, at Ben's Biz. Next year, somebody, it's going to be like the Tacoma Toast with Butter. <laughs> nationally appealing brand. Uh, I do want to give a shout-out because I know that we'll get the angry tweets and the, the threats from the good folks in Lehigh Valley who really were the ones to get this started with the bacon, the bacon jerseys and all that, and actually won uh, a, a battle of the brands really between the bacon and the tacos in which Fresno ended up having to wear Lehigh Valley bacon hats for a game. And so, Lehigh Valley, I'm not leaving you out. I know I shouted out Fresno. I'm going to shout out Lehigh Valley. Right, right, what but, do you want to see? Well, but then I had a uh, – to go further on that, yeah. I had a um, – Food identity truther get in touch with me on Twitter and say <laughs> oh, that uh, say that it That's was it, it wasn't the Fresno it wasn't the Fresno tacos nor was it Lehigh Valley in their bacon uniform but it was Reading when they uh, had a alternate uh, logos and branding around being baseball, baseball town. town with it the, was a hot dog named Bumbino and they eventually had Bumbino the hot dog on their. Uh, on their sleeves. Doesn't count. They, 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 they were, were called the Lehigh Valley. Right, the, they were the still Redding called the Phillies at that time. The Redding Franks. Right. Right, but yeah. did Lehigh Valley ever call themselves the Bacons? Uh, they, they did not. By that definition, then it would be Fresno. They, didn't their shirts at least say Bacon? No, they said baseball. Oh, the, bacon the Lehigh Valley did. Yeah. Oh, it said man. bacon USA. So that's why there's a lot of gray area here. We could debate these fine points for <laughs> keep going back for, for yeah. on and on. And, and that's why uh, this podcast is so engaging and you're, everyone is hanging on to every word every week. That is true. Uh, what do you want to see coming up? You had ideas for future identities. Give us some of these. If you could have one, we'll put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I, one. I, I just listed a few. Right. I mean, I, right. I would want to see. I'd want to see Buffalo Wings. It just, it just makes sense completely. Right. Um, but that's one I choose. Uh, at least looking at this tweet I did last week for sure. <laughs> I think um, the fact that nobody has gone for Rocky Mountain oysters. Yeah. I mean, real, it's, it's a for good regional. Reason. B. And you want to make a splash? It's. Uh, Quite the interesting food item. Is somebody going to buy a hat with a Rocky Mountain Oyster on it, though? I guess it depends on what the... Let's see what you can do with that, Brandios. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Their biggest challenge yet, design this Rocky Mountain... I think you would yeah. have to do I mean, like that, a talking that's, oyster. Uh, that's some low-hanging fruit, right? A, like an, a, an oyster with a beard. You know what I mean? Just play it off as... <laughs> and the shirt that I'm wearing. Yeah, exactly. As right. I was, as make I was it, make it pointed out. out. A ro- an actual Rocky Mountain Oyster, not in... Yeah. Right. The actual Not, food stuff. <laughs> yeah. If you are unaware, which even despite being from the Rocky Mountains, I was until I was like 15 years old. Um, now you have Google at your fingertips and you can figure out what Rocky Mountain oysters are. Um, in 2017, bobbleheads, always a popular giveaway item. What were some of your favorites this year? Yeah, well, you know, uh, this uh, food identity wrap-up was uh, so wildly popular and the demand was so strong that now I'm doing a similar article on bobbleheads. October is a month of looking back. And November will have a reflection. Yeah, and November will have aspects of that too, but in a different different sorts. Uh, so I'm working on a, a bobblehead recap right now. And, oh boy, it, it's, it's hard to pick... Uh, favorite bobbleheads um you know if you're a movie buff i think uh, akron rubber ducks going with uh, enrique palazzo was a pretty big one um you know leslie nielsen's uh opera singing umping alter ego and, and naked gun got his own bobblehead and akron also did marla hooch right um from, Le- from league of their own uh, which is a good one um it's weird and in, 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 again doing my research for this 
I noticed that, and I think I knew this at the time, but Frederick and Bowie, who are Class A advanced and double A in the Orioles system, on the same night, Frederick uh, scheduled a Spider Manny Machado bobblehead on the same night in which Bowie had Bat Manny Machado. Wow. Huh. So, I mean, that had to be coordinated, or else that's a uh, but coincidence that's, for yeah, the age. like DC and Marvel. Like, which side would Manny Machado... Yeah. And maybe in 2018, there will be a vote as to which Manny Machado reigns supreme. Right, well, well, I mean, I'd say that the... um, Super Manny. Orioles affiliates are much closer to the DC universe. Uh. (laughs) Ah... You can see, that was one of the rare times where I could see the wheels spinning. Ben stared off into the distance for just a second to bring that one together. Ordinarily, it just comes at you and punches you in the face without good and quick they are. That's what happens that when one you're I actually, in the room, Tyler. I saw the process. You did, you did. That was impressive. And sometimes so I just impressive. steal these jokes, and that's why people call me a comic con. <laughs> Oh my god! Ah, oh, it's good. It's good. It's all good. This is all fresh and it's all true. The identity that we discover. See, this is because we, we went out on Friday. I know. It's I know. We yeah. All saw, yeah, we're all uh, we're firing on all cylinders. What else is coming up? Because, like you said, this is we're kind of through the end of the World Series on the minor league side. We were having this discussion the other day. It's really a lot of radio silence. You know, teams aren't announcing stuff for 2018. There's not minor league transactions. Obviously, there isn't a whole lot that goes on. The entire baseball world now settles into Los Angeles and Houston for the next however many of seven games. Um, But then after that, we do sort of start getting prepped because winter meeting is obviously a massive thing on the minor league calendar, and then we'll get into rebranding season or refresh season. What I mean, is that kind of the next big wave now for you? Yeah, I mean, we're going to – October's the slowest month. I do need to go on vacation. Um, I just need to plan a vacation. Sam's going on vacation. Sam's going on vacation. Um, You know, being single and it's the off-season, I never know where to go, so tweet at me if you want to go on vacation with me at Ben's Biz. (laughs) Um, So I need to take some time off for sure. But beyond that, uh, yeah, we're going to head full speed ahead uh, within a couple weeks for sure uh, into rebranding season. So we'll see new logos, um, you know, some new team names. You know, obviously Gwinnett, the Braves are going to rebrand. Fayetteville, um, who will play once again in Bowie's Creek in 2018, but they're going to announce at some point, they're going to announce the name of the Fayetteville franchise that will play in 2019. Do they have any finalists for that one? They they do, they do. Um, And I'm forgetting them. Jumpers is one based on uh, being near... uh, the Air Force Base, uh, oh, uh, yeah, was it no. Fort uh, Bragg for Bragg, yeah, and uh, I think Fatback was one, or maybe just because Fatback is a finalist in every single team <laughs> named the finalist. Woodpeckers, Woodpeckers, Wood Dogs, Jumpers, Fatbacks, yeah. and Fly Traps. Wood yes. Dogs would be, I think we can rule that one out. The odds that we would have the Wood Dogs and the Wood Ducks in the same league, probably not strong. Yeah. You never know. But you never know. But we got Jumpers, Fatbacks, Fly Traps, and you know other teams that'll do rebranding, maybe not changing their name. And uh, that's that's coming come down the pike. And as Sam said, we have the winter meetings in December. And there will be some more uh, looking back at 2017 stuff while that's still relatively fresh. And uh, you just never know. You just never know. That's when you, you don't know what else to say. You just say, you just, <laughs> you just, just never, never know. know. Yeah. Uh, he's Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter if you do want to go on vacation with him somewhere. He is at Ben's Biz. You could also email him uh, as well. Or you can check out the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And um, wherever you end up on vacation with a random Twitter follower, I hope you enjoy. I was going to say, what so are you too. looking for in a vacation? For people and in a random Twitter follower to go with you. Yeah. yeah, I'm just looking for someone who's earnest, honest, and uh, open to exploration and new adventures while also having time for relaxation and uh, a general <laughs> sense of like reflection and introspection at the t- end of the day. So we end, as we always do, on Ben's single personal ad. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's good. Hit me up. Hit me up. Ladies, I'm waiting. Anybody, I'm waiting. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks, guys.
Big thanks again to J.B. Bukaskis of the Houston Astros and to our very own Benjamin Hill, who, again, you can find on Twitter at Ben's Biz. And uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of the show before the show. Uh, game one is just a few hours away, the 2017 World Series. So, obviously, we are quite excited. Already gave you our, uh, our predictions for that. But um, a prediction for next week you will not have a new episode of the show before the show because one of us is going to be gallivanting around Paris, Sam. Yes, yes. I, I am going to be gallivanting around Paris. I already have a uh, promise to a friend that I'm going to make a Parisian birthday cake. Okay. Which is literally just a croissant with a cigarette stuck in the Nice. Middle. That's that's. I don't smoke, Okay. but I do eat croissants. So that's... <laughs> Actually, there was a story this week, too, that... The French are worried about a butter shortage. Yeah, I saw you tweeted that. Yeah, I am very upset. I know. They what is better the, have like what's the status on. That? I don't know, and I'm gonna be checking. Like when I go to customs, I'll be like, "So what's the what's the deal with the shortage? butter, you yeah. guys?" I had I was told there were promises like you okay. carry around just baguettes and stuff. Like huh. that's what I'm gonna be doing when I come back. Yeah, I'm gonna be carrying around a baguette. Might as well. Right? You have to wear one of those berets and a horizontally wears Waldo striped shirt. Yeah, and just come back that's, as a mine. You know, play, all, that, all those play out every French, stereotype yeah, we have right, apparently. Yeah. So no new episode next week, but we'll be back with you in two weeks as we uh, dive into the minor league offseason. We'll have a lot of stuff coming up uh, on the business side of the game here uh, within the next few weeks, as you heard from Benjamin Hill. So, uh, hey, enjoy Paris. I will. Uh, I will come back with plenty of stories and hopefully no accent. Yeah, absolutely. Although it could make the podcast very entertaining. (laughs) Either way. Uh, That'll do it. We'll talk to you guys in two weeks. Enjoy the World Series. See you in a couple weeks. Mm